Good morning. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> um, I'm going to share this real quick because everything is a link, right? Every, all of us are a chain in a big chain link uh, in the Christian faith. And I have an older gentleman uh, that I... Uh, that I love and respect very dearly, and um, he uh, he sends me these uh, these daily uh, devotionals or, or or spiritual vitamins of the day, and he sent me something this morning, and it was along the lines of uh, obviously Father's Day, and uh, I'll just read it. He said, "I want to pass uh, something something along. As you know, being a father is one of the great privileges God has given us. It's also a heavy responsibility that we must carry. May God give you." The grace for this great task. His grace is sufficient for you. And then uh, he uh, summed it up with Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 down through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. Amen. I think that's something that we need to remember. And obviously, uh, you know, everyone has a, a, a different understanding of, of Father's Day, depending on your background. Maybe you grew up in a household where you had uh, a godly influence and you had a godly father there. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you grew up in a, in a home that was, a, a, home that was a, a little shattered or a little broken and you had a wayward father. Um, either way, I think we have to come to the conclusion as followers of Christ that we have a heavenly father that loves us dearly and uh, cares for us greatly. Amen. So much so that he gave his only begotten son to come to this earth and live a perfect life, die on the cross, go to the grave, resurrect so that we may have eternal life. And he gives us the blueprint on how to carry this out through the power of the Holy Spirit when we put him first. I think that song, that last song, I love, I love hearing that song. I love singing that song. It's so real. And, uh, you know, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Uh, you know, our God is a jealous God. And I was telling my, uh, my children this the other night, that, you know, the reality is it's all or nothing with God. With us, it's all or nothing. It's either we're in it all the way and he's with us, or we're half-stepping and he's like, yeah, I need you to return <laughs> to your first love. You know, a lot of times we, we're questioning, man, where is God in this? But we have to come back to the conclusion that we have to ask ourselves, where are we with the Lord? You see, no matter where you're at today, and I know we all come in with different things we've gone, gone through this week. Maybe this week was great and you're on the mountaintop. Maybe you're in the valley and you're just... You're struggling to get through. The good thing about the valley is there's a shadow. Whenever there's a shadow casted, that means that there's light superseding that shadow that's giving whatever that image is, that shadow's being cast. So you know that the light's coming through. You know the light's there. You know that Jesus Christ is with you in whatever situation you're going through. And so I think we need to hold on to that. But you look at the life of Joseph. Great example of someone who put the Lord first. In all his dealings. Look at how, look at what he went through. And obviously I'm a paraphrase. We're not going to go through the full account of Joseph. But the fact that, you know, he didn't ask for his father 
Jacob to make him this special coat. But there was already dysfunction. I pray for whatever's going on in that. You know, when you hear a siren, you know, someone's either going to jail, someone's going to a hospital, or someone's being, you know, uh, attended to. So, But anyways, you know, there was a lot of dysfunction in that family. But Joseph dealt with it humbly, the right way, right? His brothers hated him, despised him for the favor that his father had, uh, he had in his father's eyes, and they sold him into slavery. Can you imagine being sold into slavery? And that was the light thing, because really they wanted to kill him. <laughs> they wanted to take his life, and they didn't even consider him a full brother, as the comment, oh, well, you're my half-brother. We don't have the same parents. We only have the same father. So they despised him in that right. And then he goes to Egypt. We all know the account. He gets accused of having intimate relations with Potiphar's wife. He runs off you know, naked and, and he ends up in jail. Now you would think, well, God's plan, it's all going to work out. And it did all work out. But there was a period of time. We have to remember the cupbearer didn't just go directly to Pharaoh when he got released and told him, hey, I know Somebody that we left behind, Joseph, you got to get him out. Between the two chapters, if you go back to the account in the Bible, it's actually a period of two years or two and a half years, if I'm not correct, between the time that the cupbearer was released and Joseph was in there. So the whole time, and, 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 and Pharaoh would have the custom of, it, if it was his birthday or something, some festive some festivity was going on in, in that culture, he would release a prisoner. And I can imagine Joseph every time hearing that knock on the door and that, that, that cell door opening, he thought that it was his turn. But it didn't happen right away. But Joseph nonetheless kept God first. He gave, him, he gave God the first fruits of his life. He gave him the best of the best. And in God's perfect timing, God came through. Because if he would have been released earlier... The Bible scholars say he only had two options. He would have went back to a home like Potiphar's where he would have been a slave or he would have went back home where his brothers hated him and already threw him in, in, into slavery in the first place. Aren't you so glad that man wasn't involved in that, but it was God's sovereign divine hand upon Joseph's life that at the perfect time, at God's appointed time, he was released from prison. To do what? To be highly exalted, to be second to Pharaoh and do a great work in that place and in people's hearts. That's amazing. That's the God we serve. Amen? But you see, these things only occur when we put God first. So I want to encourage you this morning, no matter where you're at, do not give up Hope in the Lord of all your provisions. Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Jehovah Nisi, your banner. You know, when they would go into war, there would be a banner that goes before them. The Lord God Almighty. And I'm saying all these uh, Hebrew titles because I'm just so into that right now. The Lord is opening me up to just uh, wanting to go deeper with him. El Shaddai, I love that name. The Lord God Almighty. He goes before you and I. I mean, there's such a confident hope that you have to have in that. I, I don't see how we couldn't. So please be encouraged. I, I plead with you. Be encouraged today, no matter where you're at. Know that your God goes before you. Amen. All right. 
Last week, we learned about the Lamb of God, which is Jesus Christ, right? Standing on Mount Zion, the physical Mount Zion in, in, uh, in the Middle East with the 144,000. We know that those are the redeemed Jews of, of, of the age that were sealed by the Lord with his great name on their foreheads. There was a, there was a clear description of them uh, being uh, named or, or sealed with the name of the Lord upon their foreheads. And they will be brought through the great tribulation victorious in Jesus Christ. We learned about that. They are also the first fruits of the final harvest of souls that the Lord will reap before he judges this world and destroys this world uh, and, and, and restoration will occur. We were reminded that the Lord God Almighty, again, is always authentic. He's always real and he's always just. He's always true. While Satan will forever be a counterfeit, always fighting to be worshipped. That's our enemy. And he, he fights for worship of human beings through fear, intimidation, and crafty deception. That's what Satan does. Today we will be looking at these three angels sent by the Lord to the Apostle John with a clear warning and also an encouragement to the remnant of true followers of Jesus Christ in this day and age, uh, in the context, in, in the future. Though this message in context, again, is directed to the people of the earth during the end times, during this great tribulation, the message is very applicable to our lives today. And uh, we will be wise to take heed to those truths. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and uh, read our, our scripture this morning. We're in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 down through 13. And if we can go ahead and stand and we'll uh, re read the word and pray and get into the message. Man, I was so excited. I got ahead of myself. <laughs> All right. Revelation chapter 14, starting in verse 6, we'll go down through 13. And it says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead and with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second following, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured out full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Verse 11, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this Blessed are the 
dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this revelation of truth. Thank you that you give us clear indications of where we're supposed to be, what side of the ledger we're supposed to be on. Lord, we want to be those that are on the straight and narrow path. Lord, we don't want to be those that are led down this broad road that receive uh, this mark or, or, or better yet, just live in a way that is contrary to how you would have us to live. Those that worship either themselves or other people or Satan himself or this world system. Father, we pray that you would give divine insight. Help us to understand your word. Would you give me the ability to rightly divide your word through the power of the Holy Spirit and give us all the ability through that same Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, to be able to see it for what it is and apply it to our lives. Lord, make your word come alive to us today. May it not be just some ritual, some routine, but it may it be fresh, may it be new. May you convict hearts, may you encourage us. All the things we need, we pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. So as you see from the text right there, I mean, it's deep. <laughs> it's no joke. It's serious business. Serious. And you know, I just can't, I just can't express to you enough of just, um, I don't know, just this last month or so. God is so good. I have so many personal testimonies of how God is so good and so rich in mercy and how he provides you with everything you need in him. And I'm not even speaking about material things. I'm speaking on a spiritual level, going deeper with the Lord, with the Lord, uh, growing in joy, understanding the word, having things revealed to you in a way where you're like, man, God, all I could do is praise you. And, and, and I believe that the Lord is giving me a righteous indignation, never boasting in myself, but I have discernment that I've never had before why I can see crystal clear now the sheep and the goats. And obviously we pray for those that are unsaved. We never wish ill will on them. We want to be faithful witnesses, but, but it's just, I'm, I'm just, I've never been this sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And it's just amazing we see how good God is. And so this is a clear reminder and a clear instruction for us to what to look out for in our own personal lives so that we may not fall into temptation and see ourselves succumbing to the ways of the Antichrist. Amen? The first main point that we have is this. All human beings... All people created in God's image, the moral character of God, which is every single person that's ever lived. Every human being should have a reverent fear of God and give him all the glory simply because he deserves it. Not even because what he's done for you, not, not any of what you've received, just for who he is. Just that, that's it. Straight up off the top. <laughs> the cream of the crop, the best of the best of who you are should be given to him in praise and adoration. Notice that the first angel goes on to say, worship him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. You see, it all starts here. 
That is, meaning we either increase our ability or hinder our ability to worship Jesus Christ based on our view of creation. And, and you don't have to be a rocket scientist. I don't have to even tell you that in our day and age now, this, the premise of creation is being so undermined and attacked on every front in society. Okay, just this concept of creation alone, simply put Genesis 1 1 in the beginning. If we struggle with this and refuse this fundamental truth, we will have an extremely voracious and, and, and unbearing stronghold upon our thinking. If we struggle with in the beginning, God, well, I don't know. Right Again, what did Satan do when he went into the garden? When he talked to Eve, what did he do? He tried to plant a seed of doubt in her mind. Did God really say? And nowadays, did God really create the earth, the world around us, the universe? You see, if we believe in evolution morphing life into existence, that we come from monkeys or some plasma and we ultimately have no purpose when we die. I, I don't know. I'm going to reincarnate. Maybe I'll become a, a white moth. Maybe I'll become, uh, I don't know, a shark. You know, you hear all kind of stuff. There's religions that still profess that. They teach that, that you're going to reincarnate as something else and come back to this earth. We have no purpose when we die. If we believe in all these things, simply put, we won't fear God. We won't honor him. We will not worship him. Why would we? I don't even know what I'm going to be. I don't even know my purpose in this life, let alone I don't know what I'm going to be or do when I exit this life. If we, if we hold on to those false beliefs, we won't fear God. We won't honor him. You see, but if we have even a pinky nail's worth of faith, believing the great I am is the creator of the universe, that the Trinity has no creator, that they have always been in perfect harmony, living outside of space and time. If we hold to that and believe that is true, then we will have a fighting chance to see the reality of our lives and our purpose through the lens of Scripture. Romans chapter 1 Verses 19 and 20 clearly states this as far as no one has an excuse. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Um, I was just talking to Lou uh, a minute ago before the service started, and I just asked him how you know his trip was, and you know they went to Colorado, and you know the Rockies, not the baseball team. <laughs> okay. You, hey, praise God! You guys were you guys were a reflection of the light of Jesus Christ during all what they're doing over there. But anyways, the Rockies, for example. I mean, you see the imprint of God's handiwork there. Um, even in our dried out, <laughs> messed up hills right here, 
Outside this building, you see the handiwork of God. I mean, we live in the Bay Area where, you know, the water is so close. The ocean's right there. You can go Carmel, Half Moon Bay, Santa Cruz, where Monterey, whatever you want. And you can see the, the greatness of God's display of his creation. In that, in itself, shows us that there is a creator. And as humans, given a mind that is capable of understanding these simple, basic truths that are revealed to every human being, we should come to the conclusion there is a creator. And it's not me, and it's not you, and it's not your brother Tony. It's somebody else. It's something else greater than us. We can see that. But again, we love the darkness. We don't want to, we don't want to expose the truth for what it is. And so he says here in these couple verses in Romans that, you know, things have been made clear to us, but uh, because we love the darkness, because we are filled with sin apart from him, we have no excuse and we, we bend towards the other way. So the whole point is every human being should come to the point where they have a reverent respect for God just simply for who he is. Amen. The second main point is this. All who receive the mark of the beast, worshiping him, meaning Satan, instead of the Lord God Almighty, will be forced to drink the wrath poured out full strength. Man, that's just, uh, that's heavy. It's, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's no joke. It's something that's so serious. And I'm not preaching fire and brimstone, but there is, there is a component in its context that we cannot dismiss. And too much in modern day Christianity, they wish it away. They talk it away. They don't want to even engage in it. Again, you know, the fact that some churches, I don't even know how they call themselves churches, but they, they, they believe the premise of they don't, they don't teach the Old Testament. I've been in the Old Testament so much lately, and it's so important. If you don't have access to the Old Testament scriptures, you're not going to understand the grace that's been given to us in this dispensation of grace that we're living in now. Old Testament is vital to understanding the truth and the reality of who Jesus Christ is. Just go through those scriptures. I think the other week, you know, I shared some things and, you know, talk, you know talking about the hardcore things that uh, the, the, the children of Israel were going through at, at one time where they were overtaken by their enemies and, you know, mothers were cooking their babies in stew. Cannibalism, crazy off the hook stuff. But you're not going to know about that if you don't go in the Old Testament talking about we don't need it. Yeah, we do need it. You know, these are clear indications of like, that's what happens when we go wayward, when we when we try to, you know, rationalize God off the mark of being center and central in our lives. We end up in all kinds of sin. But when we keep him front and center, we'll be like Joseph, Joseph, excuse me. And even when all the chips seem to be down, speaking of the circumstances of our of our lives around us are all messed up. We're still going to come out victorious in the end. The Bible guarantees it time and time again. Look at all the faithful men and women of God. Even though they went through hardships and we will go through hardships, we're going to end up victorious with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, but if we don't have that framework of the Old Testament, then how are we going to build and develop the understanding to see, oh, okay, I kind of get it now, Lord. I get it why I'm going through what I'm going through because I'm not exempt. Why? Because 
He, the righteous king, allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Amen? That's, that's it's just so important. But going back to this, uh, this idea uh, or, the, or this, this truth, I should say, that those who worship the beast will be forced to drink the wrath of God full strength. You see, there's a common misconception in the world, in society, in secular thinking about God and hell. Many people say, we've heard it all before. Man, if God is such a good God, then why does he send people to hell? Why does he send anyone to hell? It's a horrible place. I thought he was a good God. But you see, that's not a true statement at all. The reality is people willingly choose to go to hell of their own accord by flat out rejecting salvation, which only comes by receiving Jesus Christ as their personal savior. That is the reality. And that is a hard pill for all people to swallow who are prideful, who are not in a place where they have received Jesus Christ as their Savior and said, I cry out to you, Abba, Father, have mercy upon me. I'm a wretched sinner and I need salvation. I need to repent. Give me a heart of repentance. Help my mind to change. Those who refuse, they willingly take that road their own way. The rejection of Jesus Christ and the refusal to see one's need for him is what the Bible calls trampling upon the blood of Jesus Christ as if it were common. Think about in your own life. I know I've done that. I'm ashamed that I've done that, but the reality is I have. Think of the many times people have come to you and shared the truth of who Jesus Christ is and you said, I'm good. Maybe next year. Maybe later on down the road sometime. You see what I got going for me? I'm not giving this stuff up. What are you talking about? Follow Jesus? Isn't that for some other people? That's not for me. Every time we refuse to receive the truth that he tries to reveal to us, we are trampling upon his blood as if it was common. And his blood is the blood that cleanses all from unrighteousness. It should never be. You see, the fact of the matter is the continued rejection of Jesus Christ will result in the full strength of God's wrath to be poured out upon those who reject him. But the, but the reality is God doesn't take any pleasure in pouring out his righteous judgment upon human beings. The reality is we are his prized creation. We are his crowned jewel, if you will. He was satisfied with what he created in Adam. But it wasn't until sin crept in and now redemption has to occur. You see, the cup of his wrath is actually set aside for Satan and his demons. But because the Lord God Almighty created human beings with a free will, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. No one is forced to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. No one's forced because that's not true love. That's not true authority. That's not true power. You see what Satan does? Satan forces, intimidates people to come to him, to worship him. God says, I will allow you to choose for yourself. It is that free will 
that sets him apart, the fact that he created us with the ability to choose for ourselves, that is true love because it's not a forced thing. He's saying, I present to you two options. You choose the world, you choose me. We would be wise to choose him in all of our dealings, amen? Going back to this whole concept of, of, of sin and wrath being poured out upon those who reject Jesus Christ. Since the Lord Jehovah is holy and set apart, he cannot be involved with sin of any kind. This is the reason for the cup of his wrath being poured out upon all those who refuse to submit. Because it's one of those things where it's time and time again. How many chances do we need? Again, go back to the Old Testament. I was blown away when you go to, I think it is, if I'm correct, Nehemiah chapter 9 or 10. And you read, it was right after the wall had been fully restored. And then all of a sudden, uh, Ezra reads uh, the scriptures to the people and they get so convicted. They are so blown away. They are so enamored by the fact that they are sinful human beings. They pray. And when they pray, you read their prayers. And it's just this cycle of Israel being delivered and then Israel forgetting, going back into sin, crying out to the Lord, and then the Lord delivering them. But I'm talking about over and over and over and over and over again. This same cycle. And it finally dawned on me. The Lord, I believe the, real, the Lord showed me, Keefing, this is why you see the things happening in the world the way they do. Because all of our hearts are deceitfully wicked. He wants us to be live altars on, <laughs> on the altar. I love what, uh, what uh, Nick's dad would always say. But we're like, those kind of, we're like those kind of sacrifices. We creep off the altar. We don't want <laughs> to be there. And that's what happened with the children of Israel. That's what happens to us. We need to, we need to have a willingness and a desire to say, Lord, my life is yours fully, wholeheartedly. Not not compartmentalizing what we want to give to the Lord and what we don't want to give to him. But all of us in every single area and aspect of our lives, when we come to that place, then you will begin to see the manifested glory of God being revealed to you and the power of his strength in your life. But only then, only when you're totally, fully committed and you say, I stand with Jesus Christ and I say no to the world. And you're going to lose some friends. You're going to lose some relationships. You're going to ruffle all kind of feathers in your family. They may not invite you to Thanksgiving or Christmas. That's okay. That's okay. But we got to have some kind of resolve in us that says, no, I'm going to stand for truth. That is the only way to avoid that cup of wrath being poured out upon you and I. We have to have complete submission and surrender to Jesus Christ. Because remember, we're either wholeheartedly in it or we're wholeheartedly out. There is no, you can't, you can't just be partial. you got to give him all. It's all or nothing with the Lord because he's a jealous God. And he'll convict you of it. He convicts me of it. It's like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> Speak to my kids, whatever. But the reality is we have to give him all of us. Amen. All right, the third main point is this. The saints of God are called to endure until the end. And this is where we want to be. This is where we want to be. You see, these believers are encouraged by the Lord's messengers to keep his commandments and their faith in Jesus Christ. Those who will be able to endure and persevere to the end are those who place all of their hope 
in Jesus Christ alone. They will not try to save their own life. They will not be deceived into thinking that they need to live their best life now. There's a lot of that nonsense going on. Live your best life now. Blah, 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 blah. And like, I, you know, I always preach this from, from the pulpit. There's nothing inherently wrong with material things. But there's something wrong when material things have us and their hooks are in to where those things and those experiences become our God instead of the one who created all things. You see, the ones who will endure to the end will be the ones that understand that they are pilgrims on this earth. This is not your home. You are passing through. You are a soldier, and one day you will not be here. And in that, they will trust that the Lord Jesus Christ will not only keep them, but make sure that their faith is in him forever. You see, many in, in context where we're at in Scripture this morning will be killed for their faith. They will die a martyr's death, but their eternal souls will be saved. We've been talking about this the last several weeks about don't fear the one that can only kill your body or destroy your body, but fear the one, have a reverent fear for the one who can not only allow your body to be destroyed, but can also cast your soul into that bottomless pit where we don't want to go. It's not our place. We're not to be there. So again, having the right perspective, this is so crucial. If, if anything you get out of this message, get that. You, you have to, I have to, on a daily regulatory basis throughout the day, recalibrate our thinking and put the Lord God Almighty first. If we're not, then we stand in position to be tempted and taken off the mark. It's as simple as that. That's why the Bible talks about throughout the day, meditating on the Word of God. I mean, you go back to the first chapter of, of Joshua. You, it's all right there in the, first, in the first several verses, how Joshua can be successful by starting his day in the Word, by focusing and thinking about the Word throughout the day in all of our dealings, asking the Lord, how, what would you have me do? How should I attend uh, to this situation? How should I engage with these people? And then ending our day in the Word. What is the last thing that you look at before you close your eyes? If it's NCSI, I'm telling you right now, that's not good. Nothing wrong with NCSI. Just don't let it be the very last thing that you have your eyes gazed upon before you hit the snooze button. It should be the word of God. And now we have we really have no excuse. All you got to do is press a button. They'll say it for you. You know, like a little baby. <laughs> just listen and fall off into that. Because it has such a profound effect what we allow into our minds. Remember, we have to be washed in the word. Our minds constantly reprogrammed by the Holy Spirit, by the power and authority of his word. Amen. All right. Verses six and seven. It says, then I saw another angel flying directly overhead and with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who has made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Okay, so in this first section, we see notice that the gospel is eternal. It's everlasting. You see, it will never die. It will never fade away. The gospel will remain forever. The Bible speaks of that. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of our Lord endures forever. He, God, speaking of God Almighty, he holds and endures his word so much, his name so much, that, that that's why, you know, it's so loosely used nowadays. And it's very sad. You know, you hear people blaspheme the name of the Lord. And again, every time it's like I, I, I cringe every time I hear that. And I hear it at my work a lot. And people just not aware. They just just loose slipping. But it's like it's like storing up wrath for yourself. The more and more you do that without understanding and being convicted and repenting of it and asking God to change your outlook and your perspective on on these things. But we should never, as the Bible says, blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth. It shouldn't be so. This other uh, angel that preaches the gospel, uh, but also he announces judgment for the hour of his judgment have come. Because the judgment of God is so evident on the earth in times of tribulation in general, it's not to wonder why this crowd that's going to be saved through this great tribulation can't be numbered. We know that in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 14, it says, and basically I'm paraphrasing, an innumerable amount, amount of people are going to be saved. Well, why? It doesn't take a rocket scientist again to understand why. Because all this craziness is going on. Finally, people are coming to their senses when this world is about to be annihilated. And they're like, oh, save me. And praise God for that. Hey, you know, better late than never, right? Better late than never. You see, the reality is this. Many times we don't turn to Jesus Christ until it's life or death. Until we're forced into a position where it's like, okay, well, now I got to submit to you because I got nothing left. I know that's what happened to me. <laughs> it's like I was doing my own thing, doing my own thing. People coming in my life trying to show me about Jesus. Yeah, it's okay. And then I was one foot in, one foot out. And finally, when I hit a brick wall and I couldn't throw money at the situation anymore and I couldn't wiggle my way out or scheme my way out, it was like, okay, Lord, <laughs> I submit. But I was one of those foolish people, those stubborn people, that it took the bottom to fall out. And then finally, I got it. You don't have to be like me. <laughs> you can be wise and learn from someone else's mistakes so you don't have to make it. Don't allow yourselves to go down that road. Fathers, teach your children. Grandfathers, teach your, teach your grandkids. So they don't have to go down that route. If you were one like me that went down a foolish road, spare them all of this unnecessary, the unnecessary problems that they'll face leading and living a life of just dedication to sin. That's what happens. We think we're, we think we're getting away with it, but we don't. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. You see, this whole thing of many times we, we don't turn to Jesus Christ until it's you know, life or death. We don't have nothing else. But see, once again, this is the great deception that the devil has pulled over the world. To believe that unless the sky is falling, nothing is really wrong. You know, there's people in our country right now that are oblivious to what's going on and they think everything's hunky-dory and they're just trying to wish away these things that we see clear as day. This is not okay. Now, the fact that they've taken God out of the courthouse, they've taken God out of the schools. The fact that this, this, uh, this agenda or this policy that they have is so anti-Christian. This is the reason why you see all of these things happening to our country. You see, Pharaoh and all of his foolishness, when Joseph told Pharaoh 
through the power of the Holy Spirit and interpreted the dreams that Pharaoh had, Pharaoh was actually wiser than a lot of politicians today. I heard a message that I spoke about this this morning, and I, and I agree wholeheartedly because Pharaoh had enough sense to see godly wisdom, and he put it into action. The fact that there was going to be seven years of promise and there was going to be seven years of famine, the fact that we're spending more than we create or make is just asinine. We're asking for trouble. You want to see, I want to see restoration in this land, we have to go back to the scripture. We have to apply the scripture to our lives. Maybe that's not going to happen for the nation, but it can happen for you and your home and your family and your communities and my communities, right? We have to go back to that. We have to go back to the word of God. It's the only thing that will restore what has been taken and what has been broken. This whole idea of Satan scamming the world, saying, oh, you don't have to go to the Lord Jesus. Nothing's really wrong. Again, people will say, I, I, I have time <clears throat> later on in life. When I, when I get all this sin out of my system, I've heard it before. People are like, oh, yeah, sow your, sow your oats. That's that whole sow your oats. Yeah, do your thing. I'll settle down later. You know, I'm, I'm young. So that's, a, that's a macho thing. Well, some females do it too, but just that whole idea. But you see, until you and I are converted from death to life spiritually, we literally live with the wrath of God hanging over our heads, and we can't do it ourselves. Just like that song said, give me clean hands. Give me a pure heart. Why did the, whoever wrote that song, why did they say give me? Because I can't do it. I can't give myself clean hands. I can't give myself a pure heart. That's why Martin Luther, when he was, you know, where he was and, and, and he, he was having those crazy thoughts, he drove the father crazy, speaking of the priest father, that, he, you know, confessing sins because he would go like 10, 15 times a day confessing these thoughts. And finally he realized that, you know what, I got to give it to the Lord. He came to understand it. I can't keep running back to this man. And, and, and asking for forgiveness, I got to understand that these thoughts come, but I got to submit it to the Lord. I can't do it. He couldn't change his thinking on his own. And neither can we. We can't change our thinking. We can't change what we do. We can't change our natural inclination to have a bent towards sin. But we need to ask the Lord. We have to submit ourselves at the foot of the cross. Amen. And the reality is this. And since... We don't know the day of our death physically. We would be wise to respond to the call of Jesus Christ today. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. This afternoon may be too late. You know, I can get hit by a car and be done 20 minutes after I leave this building. So what good is it going to do me to wait? We need to strike, as, as it says, while the iron is hot, while the Lord has revealed it to you. That is the time to identify what's going on and do what the Lord has called you to do. It's interesting um, that some, uh, some ministry uh, identifies themselves or wants to identify themselves and the technology they use with this angel flying over in the midst of heaven. Um, basically, they use this, this satellite and they call it Angel One in a hope for fulfillment of this verse. But you see, this is where us as believers, we can get the focus all off track. No doubt. The reality is this, wanting to be used by the Lord is a noble and honorable thing. But at the same time, when you and I begin to fix our eyes on the works being done through us and off of Jesus Christ, who is the power doing the work through us, is when we have a problem. 
You know, we, we should, again, be infused with the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit to do good things. But we have to always understand that, first of all, he's the one doing it. We're trying to bring honor and glory to him. We're not trying to bring attention to ourselves. I was watching this this um, this Christian uh, show. It was about prophetic things the other day. And, you know, I just watched it for a little bit. But then I started to pick up on stuff. I'm like, dude seemed legit. <laughs> and maybe he is. Maybe it's just me and I was just okay. But it's like... Man, bro, your name is freaking plastered over a lot of stuff, bro. <laughs> names at the bottom, names on the back screen. And what really got me was, it said, when you buy this book, I will autograph this for $49.95. I said, you know, bro, I'm turning this trash off. I said, this is ridiculous. You're talking about prophetic end time stuff, and you're talking about autographing books? I need one book. The Holy Bible. I need the Holy Spirit to reveal and give me revelation of things. And I'm not trying to smash on this man, but what I'm saying is that wasn't right. If you're truly trying to be a blessing to people, why don't you just do the thing? And I, I know you got money, you know, thing business takes money. So I'm not saying don't sell the book, but why do you got an autograph? I don't want your stinking autograph. That just turned me off so hard. I was like, man, I just lost all credibility in this house. <laughs> I ain't never uh, having you on when I see your name on the guide. I'm good. Because that to me was just obnoxious. It's like you're taking the focus off of the Lord Jesus Christ and putting it on yourself. And to have the audacity to do it in such a way where you're talking about prophetic things, trying to help people and prepare people for what's going to come. Just leave it with the word. (laughs) Just leave it with the word. Again, this is the issue with people creating charts and graphs of end times predictions. The Bible is clear. Matthew chapter 24, verses 35 and 36 tell us clearly, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no human knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. I mean, do we trust God or not? He said it right there. Nobody knows. That's what I'm saying. So it's like, what is going on with, with, why are we doing that? That's why there's so much confusion within the church. Because you don't have enough people that are in the word with a desire to know God, being like the Bereans, rightly dividing the word and saying, what you're teaching me, it's either correct or it's incorrect. Don't ever take what I say for what it is. Don't come here and get dollops of information and just think it's the truth. You better get in the word and see it for yourself. Then you could be like, okay, <laughs> I'm sitting under real teaching or I'm sitting under something that's false and I need to get out of there. Out of there. Jesus was crystal clear about this. Only the Father knows exactly when his son will return. So why spend precious time and energy trying to piece together what the human mind cannot predict? Rather, we should simply, moment by moment, day by day, partner with the Holy Spirit and be led to be about our Father's business. Amen? You see, that's the thing. We we doubt so much our own value in God because we see figures or figures of the past, someone like Billy Graham that was used in a mighty way or even whatever, Franklin Graham, his son, and, and the great ministry that he has. But do you know that you have a ministry that is of, say, of the same significance and the same vital importance to the Lord? You see, we, we actually spit in the face of God when we don't take for serious uh, uh, what the Lord has given us. Your call 
Not everyone's called to travel the world and do this and that and, 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 and go overseas on mission. But you know, you're on mission where you're at. You're on mission in your family. And until we come to that understanding, we are going to be little. And that's again, God bless you. Again, that is trampling upon the blood of Christ as if it's common. When we downplay our significance in the Lord's kingdom. So again, I, I encourage you and I challenge you to don't think so little of what the Lord is doing through you. I, you know, I never get down about, I, I, you know what? I see people here. I was told a long time ago, never preach to empty seats. I preach and I share to those who come just as passionately as if this place was packed. It's, it doesn't matter to me. I don't ever get down about it. I talk like this to my kids. And my wife's always like, she said, well, she said, don't be bringing her up when she's not in here because she can't hear what I'm saying. But I'm just saying, she tells me, tone it down. They're only kids. But you know what? It's my responsibility to do that. And I'm a passionate about my children and I want them to walk the right way. And so I'm going to be, you know, serious about it with them. Not like some drill sergeant, not all legalistic, but I have a passion and desire for them because I love them. And I love you in that same way because that's what I'm called to do. That's what the Lord has done in my life. And, and, and this is what we're supposed to do. This is how we're supposed to be. Be about our father's business. Okay. Fear God and give to him glory. This is what the angel will tell the whole world to do. Um, they can do this and give God, give glory to God and worship him willingly in this life. Or we can be compelled to give glory to him later. The application is this. You can be certain that one day all people will give glory to God. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 and 11 tells us, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, this is the bitter irony of non-believers and their choice to reject Jesus Christ, even though they damn themselves eternally by their refusal to face the truth. One day they will be forced to face it. Sooner or later, the glory they refuse to give the creator willingly will be torn from them by the torment of his wrath. John says this is the everlasting gospel, and this is the same gospel we hear preached today in true Bible-believing churches, but it is preached to a different specific time to those in the latter part of the Great Tribulation. This is the context of what we're understanding in the Word this morning. It is, it is the one of the very last calls of grace to an apostate world. We see this is clear again. It says to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. This can be a valid fulfillment of Jesus' promise in Matthew chapter 24, you know, uh, verse 14, that the gospel would be preached to all the world um, before his second coming. But this could never be a valid excuse for neglecting the urgency of the mission. You see, God has not given this responsibility of spreading the gospel to angels, but unto his people. That's you and me. However, this is the only place in the New Testament where we see angels preaching the gospel. In God's sublime wisdom, he has chosen to give that responsibility to people alone, apart from this rarest of exceptions. And this, again, undergirds that statement that I said a moment ago about don't belittle your worth to the Lord. Don't belittle your ministry to God. 
Okay, it's so important that we not in, in a prideful way, but we're so grateful for what the Lord has us doing and where he has us. You know, love your family enough, love your neighbor, which is anybody enough to share the love of Christ to those around you. Because, again, this is a destitute world. God will come back for one sinner that repents. How great will that be when you get to go before the Lord and he actually reveals to you the lives of people that you touched that you don't even you're not even aware of right now. By you just living a righteous and holy life and you sharing the love of Jesus Christ to people around you. I'm sure there's many people where you're planting seeds or you're watering and you don't even know. That's why I'm saying you, 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 you take it to heart because people need it. You know, we, 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 there's people in this room that their husbands need to hear the gospel. There's people in here where, where their grandchildren or their wives need to hear the gospel or their, their relatives need to know the truth of Jesus Christ. And you are that gap. You are that bridge as Jesus is. I'm not calling you little Jesus. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we are a representation of Jesus Christ to this world around us. And we have to do our due diligence to honor the Lord He gave us the chance, so we need to give others a chance. Again, this whole idea of a chain link that comes together. Amen? All right, verse 8. And it says, Another angel, a second followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So when we get to chapter 17, Lord willing, um, we're going to learn more about Babylon. I'm going to just give a brief, quick overview about this. But Webster's definition of Babylon is this, a city devoted to materialism and sensual pleasures, chiefly among Rastafarians, a contemptuous or dismissive term is uh, for aspects of a society seen as degenerate or oppressive, especially the police. Unfortunately, we see that in our culture. So, you know, the, you, you get why sometimes some of those Eastern countries call America Babylon, what it's become. Um, Babylon is the most famous city from ancient Mesopotamia whose ruins lie in modern-day Iraq, 59 miles southwest of Baghdad. The name is thought to derive from Babel or Babylon, which in the Akkadian language of the time is meant gate of God or gate of the gods and Babylon coming from Greek. So we know, again, the Tower of Babel, (laughs) they wanted to reach heaven The whole point was, you can even learn about this in children's Bibles, the whole point was they wanted to do life without God. And what did Lord God Almighty do? He confounded these people who thought they were wise, scattered them, and that's why we have all these different languages we have now. Because (laughs) he wasn't going to allow them to try to live without him and try to live at peace and have joy without him. And so that's why that happened. For now, uh, in regards to Babylon, it is enough to see Babylon as representing mankind in organized rebellion against God. That's the consensus you get. If you ever listen to those old Bob Marley songs, that's what he's talking about. I don't know if he was a Christian or not. I heard Babylon a whole lot. You know, back in the day, what was he talking about? Well, he's talking about this. Mankind in organized rebellion against God. Prophetically, Babylon sometimes refers to a literal city, sometimes it is a religious system, and sometimes it is a political system, all stemming from the same evil character of the historic Babylon. And now we see this statement. Because she made all nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication or sexual immorality. When we are told that Babylon has led all the nations into fornication, the main idea here is spiritual adultery. 
the worship of other gods. However, we are never surprised to see spiritual fornication accompanied with literal immorality. Again, just spend some time in the Old Testament and you will find one account after another of the literal or spiritual Babylon leading Israel away from their true God. But notice as followers of Jesus Christ, we can rejoice in the fact that Babylon will not stand in power forever. Amen. He said, yeah, they're not going to stand forever. In all actuality, Babylon or this concept of the system of Babylon has no power of its own, only what the Lord God Almighty allows for his purposes. Nonetheless, this world system that is anti-Christian will soon fall. All right, verses 9 down through 11. It says, another angel, a third following them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured out full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever received the mark of his name. You see, this reminds us that there is a connection between worshiping the beast in his image and receiving his mark on one's forehead or on his hand. You see, this is never a casual accident. This is not something that people just haphazardly walk into. The connection between worshiping the beast and taking the mark will be clear enough. Although receiving this mark to many will seem innocent, it's not. You see, in their eyes, they're just simply making a pledge of allegiance or devotion to this governmental system. Which really makes it completely ludicrous, if you think about it, that people will take this mark and, and be willing to take it. They, 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 they just think it's okay. There's got to be something that clicks where it's like, this is not okay. But you see, people will be desperate. Why? Because uh, the powers of this earth at this time, Satan will take charge of all to be able to buy and sell. So everyone that's in big business and everyone that's you know, from the big business to food stamps is going to be tripping out because I can't get my baby diapers or food and I don't want to go back like Israel and be cooking my baby in stew so I'm going to take this mark so I can survive but what does Matthew 4 4 say man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God if we try to keep our life we're going to lose it but if we lose our life for Jesus's sake we're going to find it so we have to have this mindset it's like hey man as the saying says, hell or high water, if you're going to chop my head off, if I'm going to have to die for the Lord, I'm going to die for the Lord. Let it, let it be what it is. But I'm not going to forsake Jesus Christ. I didn't come too far. I didn't seen too much in my life to renege on my faith and my commitment to the Lord. So take me. Lord, let it be what it is. But I'm not going to take this mark. I'm not going to uh, recant my allegiance to you. I'm not going to bow down to, to Satan for the fact of, of, of worldly uh, necessities. That's not the case. You see, this is just like what happened in, in, in the first few centuries of Christianity when they had to burn a pinch of incense to an image of Caesar in the pledge of Caesar is Lord. Thinking that this was innocent, but this was actually an ancient pagan, pagan ritual and it was a satanic ritual. And there were many Christians that did not renege on their faith and they were severely punished, if not killed, for not giving allegiance to Caesar. It's the same idea. 
see again, what does Solomon say in Ecclesiastes? There's nothing new under the sun. We're just seeing a modern day version of this with the technological aspects of things. But the same wicked heart is doing the same wicked things. It's the same stuff. So we need to be aware so we can be on guard and we can guard our minds and our hearts in Christ. Amen. Okay, he himself shall also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. Excuse me. Those who worship the Antichrist will be forced to drink the wine of the wrath of God. This cup of God's wrath is like undiluted wine mixed with spices to make it still stronger, full strength. It's basically all liquor, no chaser. (laughs) That's what's going down here. The application is this. The idea... That God holds a cup of wrath, which he makes those under judgment drink, is expressed more than 13 times in the Bible. Psalm 75 verse 8 tells us, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs, basically to the bottom, to the, to the sudsy bubbles <laughs> yeah, drinking it down till it's gone jeremiah chapter 25 15 and 16 says thus the lord the god of israel said to me take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom i send you drink it they shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that i am sending among them this is the same idea behind the cup that jesus wanted to avoid if it were possible remember matthew chapter 26 39 tells us And going a little further, when he was praying, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus willingly took the cup of the father's wrath that we deserved. Here the enemies of Jesus have no choice. The cup is forced upon them. The wine of the wrath of God. The wine of the cup is associated with wrath. It's described as a passionate anger. The cup itself is in association with indignation. The ancient word thymos is used 14 times in the Bible. And 10 of the 11 are in the book of Revelation. So we see how serious this is. We see how final this righteous indignation is to sinners that refuse to repent. You see, usually God's anger towards sinners does not flash against them. It's simply... It's simply set upon opposition of sin and unrighteousness. But in the book of Revelation, which is so clearly, it describes God's ultimate judgment. The term for passionate anger is used much more. Now this whole concept of being in torment, in fire, in the presence of holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke ascending forever and ever, and they have no rest. This passage teaches several important truths about hell and the eternal destiny of those who will be damned. This shows that the suffering of hell is real, that torment is real, that it is painful, that it is repulsive. In the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb, this shows us that God is not absent from hell. He he is, remember, He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time, right? His His holy presence is there. But those who are in hell wish that God were absent, but He will not be. So it is wrong to say that hell will be devoid of the presence of God, but it will be without any sense of his love. The presence of Jesus will be there, but only the presence of his holy justice and wrath 
against sin. I have a quick example I got to share because the Lord spoke to me about this and it was so crazy. One, one day last week, tears had gone in trouble. Sent her upstairs in her crib. I was upstairs in my room doing something and all I heard was, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. She's crying. She's crying. She cried for like three, four minutes straight. And the Lord showed me that cry of my little daughter right there. That's the same cry that you're going to hear when people are in hell. Crying for Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Crying for God. And they can do nothing about their situation because it's too late. They're going to be crying for Jesus, but it's too late. And I was just floored by that when the Lord revealed that to me. I was like, wow, from my little daughter, you show me this is how people are going to be in torment? That's that real. Because she don't know no better. All she knows is she got put on timeout. She got put somewhere she don't want to be. It's not fun. It's painful. She's isolated from everybody that loves her. And she's crying out to the only one who can help her. Daddy, help me. That's how souls are going to be in hell. They're going to be crying out, but it's going to be too late. The smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These who worship the Antichrist receive his mark and will endure this wrath and indignation in eternity for hell. Forever and ever, it's not going to stop. The application is this. We need to be a repented people. And the reality is repentance grows over time as faith grows. Please do not make any mistake about this. Repentance is not a one-time thing or even a daily thing or a weekly thing. It is the grace of a lifetime. It is faith like faith itself. Repentance is inseparable from faith. I found this quote. God will never plant the seed of his Life upon the soil of a hard, unbroken spirit. He will only plant that seed where the conviction of his spirit has brought brokenness. Where the soil has been watered with the tears of repentance as well as the tears of joy. And I'll quickly finish these last two verses, uh, 12 and 13. It says, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labor, for their deeds follow them. We see the strong contrast between the rest of the saints and the continual torment of the wicked. The, the rest comes through patient endurance and faithfulness to God and His Word. The application is this. We can only imagine what courage and comfort this passage will give the embattered, the persecuted saints during this great tribulation. Clearly, God wants to encourage his people to be steadfast in times of trial, focused on what the blessed rest and reward awaits them in eternity. I have to ask you a question as, as, as Isaiah and Michelle come up. What are you enduring today? Is your hope in Jesus Christ? Have you made the decision to stay focused on him, his word, and his promise? Or are you choosing to focus on your problems? You see, these are things we have to ask ourselves. May we be those who keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, no matter what, and endure until the end. Amen? Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for just your truth revealed. Lord, we are so blessed to know right from wrong, to see the bad from the good, and we choose you. May it be said that as your word has gone out, Lord, you will effectively work in us and through us and help us to make these truths a reality in our lives. May we have the endurance to forever stand for you, no matter what opposition comes our way, knowing that 
we will be with you forever in eternity. Father, we thank you and we love you. And we pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Mm -hmm.